welcome to the Dr. Body, Mind, Soul podcast. My name is Jude and I'm a doctor, healer, seeker and guide here to help you navigate the world of alternative therapies. In this new season, we will be welcoming witchy women, asking authors, getting geeky and sharing seeker stories so we can all have the knowledge and confidence to access truly holistic healthcare. Hannah, it's really nice to have this conversation with you and to bring you on as our first Seeker Story. Seeker Stories really are here to share your experience in the hope that other Seekers may be inspired by some of the treatments or the journey you've been on. Hannah was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and I really want to go into the process of diagnosis and how what, what was your journey there? Oh, gosh, I'm going to start from the very beginning because it will make sense to often how we even ignore things ourselves. So when I was growing up in my early teenage years, strange things would sometimes happen to my body. And I was super, super flexible and I was having a few digestion issues and I was having some strange immune system issues as well. Bit fainty, funny reactions. But to be honest, I was a child of the 80s and 90s. We kind of just bypassed everything and I got to a point um not long before my 17th birthday and I for about six weeks felt very unwell I mean granted I was 16 I was partying doing school doing everything but I ignored it because you're 16 and you're not thinking about things and it landed me waking up one morning just after my 17th birthday flawed in this sense I've never experienced anything like it a very severe case of what we just thought was simply glandular fever. You can get glandular fever for anyone listening where you can literally be out of it for maybe like five weeks and then you go back to life. Occasionally you do get really, really severe cases where it, you know, my spleen, my liver, like everything was just not working. And I ended up being bed bound for quite a few months. But I think now I look back, I can see there was a lot more going on. And when I finally, 10 years later, met with a geneticist, he was able to highlight to me what was going on. So after this glandular fever, the truth is I never recovered. I obviously recovered to some extent of, you know, I started to be able to do a little bit more in life. And at the time I went to the doctor when I'd kind of got over the worst of it, I was doing a few alternative therapies by this point because I was there was nothing that anyone could really offer me to do. I started to feel very depressed as well because I think the trauma of what had happened to me hit me. So I basically went to the doctor and was like, I think I'm having a mental breakdown. <laughs> um, can you give me some pills? And, you know, the doctor was really nice and was like, look, you've been through this horrible experience. And I explained as well that I was tired. I was struggling, but I was too afraid to tell anyone because I just didn't want people to think I was making a fuss. So this kind of led me on a journey for that next year of me forcing myself back to school at the same time being depressed, also having a lot of physical issues and not really telling anyone T apart from the doctor who was doing her best with the information I was telling her. And I will say this, 
So when I landed back at the doctor's after a serious stomach bug um, that again, had like flattened me and she was like, something's not right here. You know, I think you need to, basically I was too ill to at this point, to, I had to quit college that I'd attempted to start. She said like, let's see if we can get you some answers. Put me through the medical system. This is, you know, the year 2001. I started to have my first experience of the medical system of consultant, which was challenging because I was young. I didn't really understand, I guess, how to really voice things. I And I guess I know it sounds silly, but the difference is with now, I feel like people are more empowered because we've got an open internet. I think it was a very different time then. We were just coming out the 90s. The internet, we barely had internet on our phones. We didn't, in fact. I found it quite challenging because he was quite confronting about a few things. He then said, I think you've got chronic fatigue. And he said, it's quite bad. He said, I do recognize there's something wrong with you. Don't really know what to do. Keep taking your antidepressants and rest. So my doctor was said to me, I don't, I don't have any answers for you. All we can do is try and manage this. And I assumed I'm going to be honest with you, I thought I can get on top of this, like, let's continue on the alternative therapies, I can sort myself out. I was still really struggling at this point with my mental health as well. Because I think it was trauma at this point of I was young. I wasn't able to do what my friends were doing. Eventually, I did take control of my mental health because I made a pact to myself. If I can deal with my mental health, I can then really gain back control. And whatever's going on in my body, I'm going to have a better grip of things. So I set out the task. And this is where I would say the crossover with alternative really did help start to bolster me. So I went along with this for years. I was listening to this idea that if I could keep pushing my physical body a bit within limits between rest, I could make it better. I was making things worse. And this carried on for years. So so I don't totally bore your audience. This went on for years. But what started getting worse in those latter years was physical pain, joint dislocations. And I was also fainting a lot more. It comes down to me having, by the time 10 years on, we have social media by this point. I, for the first, for a long period of time being ill, I didn't really talk to many people who were going through what I was going through. And I also had this weird psychological theory where I didn't want to institutionalize myself. And I was really grateful that someone was like, you can find a balance. It might be important to start talking to some people going through so you, you feel less alone. So I found that balance of finally meeting with people who were kind of some people were experiencing what I was experiencing. And I did feel less alone. But it was actually a friend on Facebook who I was sharing about the heart issues I was getting. So basically, I'd had this really high heart rate for years. I told myself it was anxiety. And I don't know, I was talking to a friend one day and I was having some issues when I was out with her and she looked at me and she said, can I ask you a straight question? She said, do you feel anxious right now? Because I'd shared what was going on, but I was like, no, not really. She was like, I don't think you've got anxiety, Hannah. She said, like, there's something else going on here. But I was like, you know, I don't really know how to address that. You know, like, how do you? And I was having strange blood pressure issues that my blood pressure would stabilize at one point, but from upright to getting upright to thing to thing, I was passing out sometimes. Uh, this was increasing my heart rate stood up. It, you know, it was it was becoming very challenging. So my friend t- 
suggested to me, I think you've got POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. This really has only been known about within the NHS sphere. I mean, that was obviously 11 years ago now, but really previous to that, it wasn't really talked about. No one, no one was really talking about it. So I said to him, okay, I, I do think you're right, but how do I how do I go to a doctor and convince a doctor that my mate on the internet, now you're a doctor, dude. Let's be honest. Patients love Google and self-diagnosis. I'm not stupid here. So I was like, look, how can I approach you? So he's he was very scientific in it he was like let's let's create an evidence pile for you so you can go with some evidence so I did this and I committed to it for a month and I then took myself off to my GP who I knew would be even if she maybe didn't believe it I knew she would give me the time to listen so thankfully I went to my GP she sat there and googled it and she said I'm really sorry because I think your friend is right And she said, I obviously don't know what to say to you because she said, I've been on this journey with you. But she said, the only thing I can do now is get you through the system fast to get this identified. And she said, I'm fairly convinced you have it. But should we need, and I mean, anyone that's been on this journey, the important, the need for a diagnosis. Sometimes I don't think labels are always good, but in some cases for your (laughs) own. sanity a label is helpful so she did as good as her word um and what she did say to me she said I can't erase the last 10 years for you but she said the only thing I can do for you is to promise you that no one will ever walk into this room again if they present like you without me knowing about this now and taking action and the interesting thing was she actually shared with me that only three weeks earlier she'd been to some kind of GP doctor thing and somebody had actually brought up POTS so it's very interesting that during that time it was becoming more known so I got referred to the hospital and very quickly they got me through on the tilt table and I actually never made the full tilt table test I actually passed out very quickly what's really alarming to the people who were doing it because I was so used to fighting now I obviously was so used to this faint feeling I never alerted them that I was about to pass out because I thought I could override it. So they said they could see. They were like, Hannah, like when obviously I came around, they were like, why didn't you tell us? And I I said, well, I thought I could handle it. Like this is this is crazy. So they they thankfully didn't give me lifestyle stuff to go away and do because they were like, we can see that you've been attempting lifestyle adjustments for a long time. So they said, we're sending you straight to the consultant because this is pretty bad. So I, I get to a consultant who, for the first time in my life, was really friendly for one, listened to me and was really kind. And it might sound for anybody listening well, surely that should be an experience. It, it it hasn't always been my experience. And I actually walked out of there crying, not sad tears, but happy tears. And he was like, why are you crying? And I said, you don't understand. You've changed my life. And basically, he looked at my whole medical history. He said, you've got an hour, talk. 
by the time I got halfway through, he said, there's been a mistake here. And he said, I believe that you have something called Ellis-Danlos syndrome and you have POT. So he referred me through the system very fast. And I landed up in a geneticist room. And I can't quite describe for anybody that's been on a journey like that. It was like, it makes me emotional to even talk about it now because it was it was a really surreal experience for somebody to sit there and that all the times that I questioned if I was crazy or is this in my head or what the hell's wrong with me? Why can't I get better? You know, it, it was a very surreal experience. But what was more surreal at the end of it, he said to me, I'm seeing a lot of people with your story right now. And he said, it interests me that you're not after what you've been through. You're not as screwed up in the head as I would imagine a lot of people who've come in. And that kind of shocked me. But it also made me realize if I hadn't have been doing all those other things to support myself, what kind of a state would I actually have been in? Through getting that diagnosis, obviously, I'd push my body in ways I shouldn't have. We were able to get me within the system. We were able to get me support. I mean, and just for context for anybody listening, this Ellis Danlos is, so it has left me having to use a wheelchair. But the weird thing was, again, with that wheelchair, because I was so determined, I'm really grateful to like the doctors and the OTs and the people around me, because if it wasn't for them explaining that actually using AIDS can actually give you a better quality of life, and you'll be able to have a life because you won't be sitting down telling everybody to do everything because you can't physically do it. And that was what I did for years. So, yeah, that is my story. And I'm sorry it's taken so long for anybody listening. But I think that is a representation of not just my journey, but I'm pretty sure there are many other people who would have the different things or the same story of what what is going on in another side of the system and obviously I think we often see so much in the media about disability benefits or people you know with xyz but they're you know behind so much of this there are people with real stories real struggles real pain real stuff that's going on and a lot of the time some people are being gaslighted some people are being ignored some people are just struggling to the point of not coping so yeah so it's it's been a journey but I'm grateful that I have been supported and I have had tools that I wouldn't have had had I not chosen to go on that other path as well so that is my journey wow I mean thank you so much for sharing that I think your story is the very reason I'm doing secret stories is so that more and more people understand, medical and non-medical people understand the process of diagnosis, how difficult that can be, how long that can be, the impact that can have, and the validation that a Mm -hmm. diagnosis can actually give someone whose symptoms aren't recognized early on. And I think actually post-viral syndromes are going to be getting a much higher profile in our new world with the 
sort of with the onset of long COVID and a sort of new recognition that post-viral symptoms um, can have a profound impact. And this is this affects the way our bodies function, which has mental health repercussions, and also may affect those with vulnerabilities, like genetic vulnerabilities, more profoundly than others. So, you know, we 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 as a medical profession need to be much more aware of that and be able to recognize these very non-specific symptoms of fatigue and dizziness and sort of um, digestion issues, which are quite vague, but we it's on us to sort of pick through that and learn more about what could be going on so that people like yourself aren't left questioning themselves so much and feel gaslighted. It's also recognizing that somebody if you're going through this experience not just passing everything off as a mental health like thankfully I didn't have that it was I was able to I had good enough people who were recognizing that you know my doctor put it to me like this when when I'd gone to her really desperate one day and really upset about everything she did point out to me that you know you're grieving what's happened to you and actually by her putting it in context like that you know you know is able to give me more context around how mental health can vary as well but I think as well it's not you know it's recognizing that if somebody's life dramatically changed it's probably going to have an impact on somebody's mental well-being but making sure as a medical professional you separate the two you know luckily in my case I wasn't fobbed off but I do know so many people who have been with that side of things and also then it becomes this whole big thing that people are almost scared and I think you get many people with chronic situations who do have mental health issues that they don't really want to address because they're scared that if they then address that people are just going to say it's in their head now I am a firm believer like I said to you when I was kind of 21 and I had that epiphany epiphany of like okay the one thing I have control of here is that I can deal with my mental health and you know, thankfully, I was equipped in in ways to be able to approach that. But I think a lot of people are really scared to do that because they don't want to have that mental health label on them. And then for everything else to be disregarded that they're going through. So that's why I, I, I was struggling with myself too, at times. So hard, so hard. And it just takes so long. It took you 10 years, I'm hearing. I mean, that's, such a long time yeah such a long time and you mentioned this period of 10 years where you're really unclear about what's going on with your body and although you were getting it sounds like really good emotional support from your GP which cannot as you've already mentioned be taken for granted at all you needed further support I'm curious to know how how did you approach that what did you try like what how did you get your advice as to know what to try? Like, can you can you yeah explain to me a little bit about how you approached the alternative therapies that you ended up trying and how all of that unfolded? So just to fast forward back to teenage years, mm. I, I don't know where it came from, but I developed an interest. Well, ironically, being so hypermobile, I thought I was a yogi, didn't I? <laughs> Obviously, it didn't turn out so well in my case when the joints started dislocating. But um, so my interest started around 12 in spirituality and alternative stuff. So 
when obviously this whole situation hit, I'd already had my eyes open to this field. So I'd already started trying herbal stuff at this point. You know, so I had access at this point to to like a healers of sorts. So I took myself to this guy that did like herbs and healing and body work when I was like kind of a little bit better from from the glandular fever. And he suggested a few books to read. And, you know, we talked about things I could do. And I landed up at, I live really near a place called Totnes, which is basically like a mini Glastonbury. It's really alternative. So I basically was walking down the high street with mum. I say walking, we'd parked and gone a few steps because she obviously at this point was trying to help me. Like she was trying to take me out when I could. And, you know, we saw this clinic that did acupuncture. So we committed twice a week acupuncture, taking all these funny herbs. I I did that for almost a year. And obviously a vast amount of money at this point was exchanged. And and I was seeking not only that, I was looking at all kinds of other things that I could try. You know, I'd expanded out to like holistic body work therapy, you know, anything I could really get my hands on. I had come to the end of the road with the acupuncture and I certainly, I would still have acupuncture now. I still think there's benefits to it. The problem was you were dealing with what we didn't realize a whole bodily complex system here. I think maybe it's good for targeted things more. So I then moved on to some, a Chinese herbalist to then try and colonic irrigation, to try and crystals, aroma, Reiki. I mean, you start opening up that box. I then took myself down various different, um, more of the kind of mental stuff from hypnotherapy. I ended up going down past life therapy. I ended up having lymphatic drainage fodder treatments. Basically, I was like opening up the kind of alternative journal and looking at what I could try next. It was overload in a way. And I'm actually really grateful to somebody who I was seeing a healer that actually did stop me in my tracks and tell me that I might need to slow down and maybe give myself a break. And had I ever considered having some fun? And I would say this to anybody going through this journey. I had this fear I'd come to realize. And I guess it was an impact that was trauma, mental health, that I wasn't allowed to be, unless I was, I was on this mission. I had to be serious about what I was doing or people might say there's not anything wrong with you. I became afraid of living my life. And I'll be honest, it took me a very long time to reclaim that. That was pretty fundamental at the time in really giving me a lot of reflection time. And I did take time out and it allowed me then to integrate so much of of what I'd been through and look at things differently and realize that we can almost become addicted to chasing things as well and the biggest thing was that fear of me turning off that noise of thinking what people are going to think and actually like I it was safe for me to have fun and I realized the key thing was that I had created that lack of safety in myself that I'd almost created this thing around living my life or having fun. If I was seen to be doing something nice, I wasn't quite allowed to enjoy it because that meant I wasn't focused on my healing. When you hear this, it's absurd. But I thought, well, if a doctor thinks I'm doing that, they wouldn't be taking me seriously. But they, and, and when you actually like hear that, it's absurd, right? It is. And I also, I can really understand it because it, it, I guess 
I'm what I'm really hearing is that you're sort of saying that you you needed to be taken seriously by the doctor to communicate that something was wrong. And because that message wasn't necessarily getting through, or in your case, it was getting through, but it was still not leading anywhere, that you took all the responsibility on yourself, which I'm guessing really causes like confusion as to, do I accept this? Do I keep fighting this? Is this me? Especially when there's not a diagnosis underpinning it, because that you know there's, there's this sort of sense of shame or or, or blame, and you were desperate, like you know you were really desperate to be feeling better and open the alternative health bible and just wanting to try anything to move yourself forward. And I know that that had huge financial implications as well. I mean, aside from all the money my parents spent, I was borrowing money anywhere I could find money from I was basically going down this path and it just became a very negative experience and I ended up in my mid-20s so in debt and ashamed like this is the best thing about it ashamed of that ashamed of that too and that definitely had an impact on my mental health um I mean, thankfully, because I knew it was like, but, you know, I don't want to put people off trying alternatives. And I know you don't, too. The other thing I do want to say is this. A lot of the time when we go down the alternative bubble, we sometimes think that has all the answers. And it was a very humbling experience over the years when I've had to realize that sometimes, you know, when you've got a really high heart rate of over 100 and you're walking around with that for a very, very long time you're going to cause damage to your body. I did that. Taking that medication gave me a better quality of life. Did I have a mental battle taking that medication? Yes, because of the conditioning. And it's been humbling realizing that it's safe for me to bridge those two worlds. And I think it's about learning to trust yourself and your intuition again in all of this with all that you're doing. And that sometimes we need to stop labeling things as a failure if we have to do one route or the other route. Some people may be looking at they're in a situation where they're taking medication that they maybe don't need and they need to come off that. There's two sides to it. But the biggest thing that I learned is that it's safe for you to have better quality of life sometimes with medication. And that was a long road when you're on a spiritual alternative journey. There's a lot of shame around that. And, and it, it would be insane for you as a doctor to hear that, I, I'm sure. But even down to managing pain, because, you know, and I appreciate as well, nobody wants people to be taking long term pain medication. But when you have a long term pain condition, you have two choices. And I didn't realize the impact that. I, I I sometimes used to force myself to under, you know, you've just got to deal with, you just got to get on with the pain. It's draining living with pain all the time. And it's not good for your mental health, your nervous system, your, for your body, for your everything. And, you know, I'm lucky. I personally haven't been gaslighted on the pain front because I know you, you and I will both know that there are lots of people who are. Luckily, I haven't been. So I'm really fortunate and I'm really fortunate. I'm on a really kind of good program now where that's concerned but I don't know like this this there's been a lot of humbling along the way here of of learning what's good you can support yourself though with all those other things and that's where your power lies finding ways to bridge those two worlds finding ways to bridge those gaps 
making sure you're really listening to your intuition and trusting yourself. We stop trusting ourselves because if a doctor or somebody has told us, even somebody on the alternative, that they know better, we tend to unfortunately place the power there. And that's fed from t- when you're tiny. I got these. I'm with my niece at the moment, who's three and a half, and it's it, you know the, the subliminal messaging through Peppa Pig, through all of the things, is that when you're sick, you go to the doctor, and the doctor makes you better. So it's yeah. this very subliminal messaging that you know the doc the doctor has the answers, and and it's not to diminish that the fact that sometimes like the the, the, the doctor does have answers. It's why I became a doctor. It's because I wanted to know what was wrong with people's bodies and also Hannah modern medicine is only about 100 years old yeah and it's one particular let is only and it's one lens through which we actually see the body there are multiple lenses that we can interpret how we work so yeah it is really complex and I think a really good message to come away with is doctors don't always have the answers and that's because it's a new yeah, we're really dealing with in modern medicine's infancy. So it's important for us all, doctors included, to be aware that we don't have all the answers. And just because we don't have all the answers, it doesn't mean that it's the patient's fault. No, you know, it, it's a challenge. And I love that, you know, this work that you're doing here is so powerful because, you know, right now you're kind of, I think it was, Jessica Huey made a very good point. You're stepping onto the dance floor alone and, you know, you're making a stand with something that isn't big conversations aren't happening and it's brave. And I'm so grateful, you know, that we met. And, you know, hopefully if there's one person that listens to this and they're like, take that breath, even if a doctor listens to this and can take something from it, because I think it works on both sides. Both sides need to... We, we all need to keep meeting and I guess it's like we work on our our you know our love relationships but we never think to work on those kind of you know we might think about our work relationships one of the fundamental relationships we should all be working on is those the one thing that we might all need at some point is our doctor wow yeah I have never thought of it like that but you're so right you're so right it's it's it makes such difference because ultimately it's two people coming together to be to, and interacting and entrusting each other at such a vulnerable point yeah. in our lives it's a really it's it's a it's a relationship that really needs to be given the honor that it requires and it's not given that space or time or container in our yeah. current system yeah massively and I mean I look at this like as a patient like I shared with two people in the chronic illness community that I'd met you they almost didn't believe me when I was saying I met this doctor and I I obviously I'd actually shared with you about you know we were talking about how damaging the impact of what you know ME diagnosis can have they almost didn't believe me that I'd had they were who is this doctor and I was like no 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 she's she's real like uh, does, does she do doc? she's an AME doctor and she's like compassionate like it was almost like there was this like it the softening that those conversations had and just by sharing that the ripple effect of like what you're doing I've shared that that ripple effect that spreads that's that's magic and um, you and I are both into you know 
take out all of these conversations. We love all our witchy stuff. I know you do because I've I've looked at all your page now. I believe on a deeper scale, this is this is magic. It's 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 a form of you know love and you know something that I've learned along the way to leave your podcast is and it's something that I didn't do for a long time is that healing takes love not force not pressure healing takes love let that sink into every single part of your being because I certainly know if I'd approached healing with love it would have been a very different experience for me I mean, I don't think there's a better way to end this conversation than just how you have right now. I'm happy to have come on the dance floor with you. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, which I think, you know, is just a super powerful way to, to look at it. And may, may this grow and may this continue. And, you know, imagine if a doctor who maybe hasn't always understand comes along and has a conversation with you that can change everything for that doctor and how they then interact with their patients and vice versa as a patient you know we you know we're all we all have to do our part thank you so much for having me well I really hope you enjoyed that conversation we are sharing seeker stories to offer hope and inspiration to those who may be struggling in their journey navigating the western way and alternative approaches in their search for truly holistic healthcare. If you have a secret story you would like to share with me, please do reach out. You can do this via email at hi at drbodymindsoul.com or via Instagram at drbodymindsoul. So until next time, peeps, I hope you all have a truly holistically healthy week.